Amen. Uh, guys, I'm really excited to share this morning uh, with you what God put, has put on my heart. And uh, I thought it would be a good opportunity. Well, one, every time that uh, I get the opportunity to share, uh, I look forward to it because I get to share a little bit more about myself. Um, some of you may know me, some of you may not, um, but my name is David Jackson. Oh, my lovely wife, Marlena Jackson, right here. Uh, we have three uh, crazy little kids that are up there causing a ruckus, I bet, uh, in kids' kingdom. And uh, I've been a disciple, uh, which will be uh, 12 years coming up. prior to uh, those 12 years, and uh, so uh, I, I just find it funny that um, you know, every time my spiritual birthday comes around, it's an opportunity to reflect, it's an opportunity to kind of look back at your life, you know, uh, it's, I kind of laugh at myself because I get into like these weird reflective moments where I just, you know, just think about everything, some, some great memories, some, you know, challenging memories, but uh, today I want to talk about odds, I want to talk about odds today. And there's, you know, some may laugh, but I take it very, very seriously. Um, one of my favorite movies is a movie called Along Came Polly. Yeah. It's, about, it's about this guy. He, he's a risk assessment yeah. analyst. And uh, his job is all about ass- assessing, um, you know, for insurance if people are, are you know, are worth being insured. You know, uh, are they risky? And so he lives his life just calculating the odds. You know, um, if things are too risky or, it's, you know, odds aren't in his favor, like he doesn't do it. Um, that's the way he lives his life. And I can relate to this guy uh, because, you know, you know, some people, you know, scoff, but I have a, a rational fear of wildlife. Um, and I say rational, I say rational because, you know, I, I, I live my life not wanting to be on the news for you know for someone being attacked by an animal, but being being somewhere being somewhere where they shouldn't be, wrong place at the wrong time type thing. And so I can relate to this guy. And so Joel asked me, "What do you want to talk about?" I want to talk about being the odds uh, because you know I feel you know I've yet to be uh, uh, attacked by a wild animal. Uh, and I feel because I play the odds, you know, I, I, play, I make sure that, you know, I don't put myself in situations where, you know, an animal attack will happen. Um, I, I'm very meticulous about it. You know, people may laugh, but hey, I've yet to be attacked by an animal. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I feel very comfortable being able to share my fears, but I want to share a couple odds uh, with you guys. You guys know the odds of being attacked by a bear are one in two million. I want to the odds of being attacked by a bear, right? The odds of being struck by lightning, one in 3,000, which you're more likely to be struck wow, by lightning that's crazy. than uh, attacked by a bear. Uh, a car crash, <laughs> one in 77. Yeah, wow. um, yeah, so definitely when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I was skeptical about driving, you know, <laughs> more often. The odds of a national disaster, one in 3,500. Uh, being involved in a national disaster, and you know, obviously, got to be praying for the folks down in the, uh, the south of Hurricane Florence. Um, it's happening right now, but those are odds. Uh, here's the one: dying in your sleep. You know, we all woke up this morning. I was dying in sleep. Uh, one in eight. Wow. Oh my gosh. Uh, about 10% of the U.S. population. That's awesome. They don't, they don't, they don't wake. 10% don't wake up in the morning. So, guys. The, the fact that you woke up this morning, you have been the odds. You have been those odds. Um, 
<laughs> so I think it's pretty cool, you know. Uh, you know, you, if you, you haven't been attacked by a bear, you woke woke up this morning, you have beaten the odds. And I, I want to talk about I want to talk about three people in the Bible that beat the odds. And as I share about these three people, um, I, I thought it'd be cool to share about three times where I myself have beaten the odds. Um, so let's look at first off uh, the first person uh, is uh, Romans chapter four. My first point. Uh, for you this morning is simply Abraham. Nathan mm-hmm. Fancy. Abraham. Romans 4. Abraham. In verse 1, the Bible reads, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, you know, we have Abraham, the father of the faith, as, as it's said in the Bible. And we, hear, we see here in Romans, they're talking about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, some some uh, are very familiar with this passage of scripture. So I thought it would be interesting to take a look at um, why, in fact, Abraham, was uh, his faith was credited to it as uh as righteousness. Okay. So let's go to back old school, okay. Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 15. Let's see what we can glean from him. Being in the eyes. Um, Genesis 15, excuse me, and verse 1 says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Mm-hmm. Let me just stop right here. I, I'm going to how, how many of us this morning feel that? Is God the reward this morning? Is here uh, God appears to Abram yet? He hasn't become Abraham yet. He says, I am your shield, your very great reward. Is that how you view God? Is that how you view God? Is God your very great reward? Um, let's keep it real. That's, that's why we're here, right? We're all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take, you know, they say don't assume, but I'm going to assume we're all here because we love God. Uh, but is God your great reward? It's funny, that's the first thing that God says to, to Abraham. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Let's check out Abraham's response. He says, but Abraham said, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, isn't it interesting, like, Abraham's first response to God saying, hey, I am your great reward. Right off the bat, Aaron says, hey, I have no children. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can say to say that this is something that meant a lot to Abraham. Right. Right? This is the first thing that comes out of his mouth after you know, God said, hey, you know, um, I'm your shield, your very great reward. And I believe there's things that even this morning, there's things that, that are on the, the edge of our heart this morning. Things that are super important. Maybe even maybe it's been since you woke up, it's been on your heart. Um, this is something that was on Abram's heart. This is the first thing that he, that he says after you know you know a, a miraculous thing like God is speaking to him. Like, I have a great reward. He's like, I have no children. What is that for you this morning? What is on your heart this morning? What is on your heart this morning? Let's keep reading. And uh, verse four says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. 
If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offering, offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so here's where we get that scripture in, in Romans, this, this uh, instance right here. Abraham shares what's on his heart. Hey, I have no children. Like that's, that's something that concerned him, that, that, that little. That's a big, that was a big thing. What are you going to leave um, uh, your children? If you have no have any children, that's something that was very important to him. So God brings him out and shows him the stars. Says, hey, can you even count these stars? Your offspring will be as numerous uh, as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed him. This, and, and here's the thing that we don't pick up here, but obviously those who read the story of Abraham know that Abraham was uh, 100 years old uh, when he had, eventually had a child. His wife was 90 years old. Now, I don't know what the odds of having a child at that age, you know, uh, but I, I don't think it's happened. Um, unless something great, I don't think it's happened in the history like someone that old having having a child. Like um, those are pretty insurmountable odds right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here, Abraham, despite those odds, says, "You know, I, I believe. I believe you. God. I believe what you're saying to me." Um, the funny thing is, that's not the the first interaction where uh, Abraham uh, believed something that God said. And when I was reading the story, something really like stuck out to me. Um, about Abraham's faith, faith. So bear with me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Okay. Genesis chapter 12. So we see Abraham, despite the odds, he believes God. It's credited to him as righteousness. But in Genesis 12, in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old uh, when he set out from war. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions he had accumulated and the people they had acquired in uh, Haran. And then they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So here we see the first the instance where Abraham like believes something that God says and does it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was looking at this, I'm like, wow, like, you know, the, we just read in Genesis 15, mm-hmm. credit to him as righteousness because, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, of where he was at in life. But here we also see an instance where Abraham believes something that God said. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, what is the, the significance of those two moments? Um, and I believe that there, there's two types of, of faith that, that the Bible is calling out here. And I was saying, what is the, the significance of those two things? So jump with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Right. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us some little insight into what's going on here. Obviously, Hebrews 11 is the, the famed, you know, uh, chapter about all about faith. And, of course, if Abraham's a father of faith, of course he's listening here. And Hebrews uh, chapter 11, starting verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with the with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past uh, age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had, uh, who had made the promise. So here is and the funny thing is you read through this book, uh, all the people that the writer uh, mentions, uh, he only mentions the other people one time. He says, by faith they did this. Here we see Abraham, he, he, we read about the faith that he had when he believed and that he had to go somewhere and he went. And then we also read about the faith that, that he had of believing that he would be the, the father of many, even though he was barren. And I believe the reason why it's mentioned here twice is because God wants us to have faith, obviously, when he says, hey, go, this is going to go do this, and we do it, to have that faith. But also the faith to, to go, to believe in something despite the odds. Because that's what happened with Abraham. He believed when God said, hey, go to this land, he went. And he also believed when he said, hey, you're going to have children, <laughs> even though the odds were stacked against him. And, and I thought about myself, like, what, when, what does my faith look like when I believe the odds are against me? Because I, I believe we can all have faith in, in things that, certain things that the Bible says. But when the odds seem insurmountable, I feel like that's when we have that, that challenging, you know, battle with God. Because uh, it can be easy to say, okay, you know, when God says go do this, we do it. But when the odds are against us, I believe that's when we have um, our challenges. Maybe there's some things in your life that you're thinking are insurmountable. Things that, that are impossible to happen. Um, maybe you believe that you won't be dating, that you won't find that significant other. Um, maybe that's insurmountable, insurmountable to you. Maybe there's a, a certain sin or a certain challenge in your life that you feel like you cannot overcome and it's impossible. Maybe that's insurmountable to you. Maybe you believe you can't be fruitful. Maybe you believe you can't really uh, convert someone and help them become a Christian. Maybe you believe that that's insurmountable to you. But here's the thing. God, God is all about beating the odds. Like you read the Bible, he, he loves it when the odds are, are, are stacked against him. Like that's when he flourishes. Not be for us. Like we really need to, to take a cue from uh, Abraham here, the father of our faith, and really take an assessment. What, what do I view in my life as insurmountable? What, what do I view as something that, that just can't happen? That's when God is trying to get you to have the faith and say, you know, what? I'm all about beating the odds. Um, I want to share about the time I beat the odds, guys. Uh, you know, it was in middle school. Um, you know, you know I, I look at my son and laugh because my son is very he's tiny. He's, he, my, my mom's four foot eleven. Um, you know, there's, there's not there's not much hope for him to be you know be a basketball player. Um, so I was small, just like him in sixth grade. I, I was I was tiny, so obviously I got picked on. Um, so much so that my dad had come to my school and, and confront this bully that was bullying me. Um, it was a girl. I specifically remember a time when she literally like lifted me up out of my seat on the bus. So I was small, yeah. And so I remember every day in middle school, there was this big eighth grader. Uh, who my me and my friend Harrison, we'd be walking to to class 
And this bully would, every time he'd be walking, he'd like shove us against the wall. Um, and obviously, me being small, I go flying. So I think he, just, he, he liked just seeing, you know, someone tiny just fly. And so every day, until one day, I decided I had enough. Um, I decided to, to, I hatched a plan to, uh, to, uh, to beat this bully, my Goliath, if you will. Um, and so me and me. <laughs> As I was talking, I just realized that it was David. It was really David me alive. Um, and so I, me and my friend, we hatched out this plan. Uh, uh, brilliant. Um, what I would do, like, I would antagonize this guy to get him to, to chase me. Um, or, uh, yeah, to get me to chase me. And then my friend Harrison would distract him. And then then when I, because I was small and agile, I would ju- I'd jump on his back. Um, and start hitting him in the head. <laughs> we do that. The day comes. The day comes. He, 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 I, I see him. He, he's coming right to to push me into to the locker. Um, and I remember telling our, our, our a couple of our friends about about our plan. And they're like, "It's not gonna. It's impossible. You're not gonna be able to do this. He's too big. He's gonna beat you up. He's gonna catch you. All he has to do is put his hands on you. You're done." I was like, and I was like, "No, I'm not having any more." So the morning comes, he comes charging down the hallway, and um, right as he's about to shove me, my friend Harrison distracts him. I do like, I don't know how I did, I, I sped him behind him, jumped on his back, started hitting him in the head. He's trying to, he's trying to uh, push me against the, the wall, and I'm using my feet to like keep me from being smashed against the wall. And my, as I'm like hitting him in the head, my friend Harrison is like hitting him in the stomach. <laughs> and then I, I told my friends, like, when I say go, that's when we like, run. And so I said, go. I jumped off, sprinted to my classroom. And the reason I knew this would work is my teacher always left the door open. So I knew that I didn't have to, uh, you know, be caught with time trying to open up the door and catch him. So I sprinted and ran. And I remember uh, he, he was running after me. He clipped me uh, as I was running in the back of my feet. And I like, Trip, no, but I was like, I was agile. He tripped me, and I like went to like a controlled slide into the in, into the literally into the room, and um, so all my teacher sees is this kid just sliding into into the room, and she asked me what happened. I was like, oh, nothing, you know, kind of blew it off. But from that day, he never uh, messed with us again. Um, so I like to think that I beat the odds at the time because there's a lot of kids my age that, that, that didn't make it, that kept getting picked on. Um, and obviously, I, you know, that's, that's a funny story, but really, guys, there, there are things that we view uh, as insurmountable in our lives that God is just trying to get us to see, hey, I got it. I got it under control. All you need to do is believe. Um, so I have a challenge for you. This is a very simple challenge. In your notes and your phone, I want you to just be real. Write down what challenge or challenges you feel are insurmountable <coughs> in your life right now. Write it down. What's something that, that if we're honest, we, we, we believe that it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Those thoughts come through our mind. We just first need to acknowledge that, that they're there and then turn to God. Amen? But I want you to write down that challenge. Um, my second point Title, second point title, The Odds of Victory. Um, let's go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Who wants to beat the odds this morning? Amen. I know this loud. Judges chapter 6. The Odds of Victory. In Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. 
Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, <coughs> caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and turned the crops um, all the way to Gaza and did not spare, and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their life, uh, came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land and to ravage it. Midian was uh, so impoverished to Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, this is, just paints a picture of just a dire situation. Um, we got the Israelites that, that due to the Midianites constantly attacking them and taking their crops, they have, they have moved their, their, their homes and everything into the mountains. And I can only imagine what it was like living in this time. To, to not only, you know, I know me uh, uh, having a family on our own, I know how challenging it is to just to move, right? When you, when you have to move that many people. But imagine, you know, these people, they are moving because they're being so attacked and, and, mm-hmm. and crossing being destroyed. Like, that, their way of life had totally changed. And, and dare I say, they, they've come to accept the way of life of just being not, not being able to live uh, normal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine what they, they felt like. You know, I imagine even some even uh, became numb to the situation, um, that it became normal for them. Uh, and then I, when I read this, I thought about my life. I thought, are there things that, that I've just become numb to in my life? That situations that, that, you know, that I feel like aren't going to change, that, that I've just accepted that that's the way it's going to be. Um, we can be like that, guys. Right. You know, there, there can be situations, times in our lives that, that we feel like they're not going to change. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, that person there, they're always going to be like that. Or my relationship with person X, Y, and Z, it's, it's always going to be that way. I'm always going to be in this situation in life. I just might as well accept it. That's what happened to the Israelites. They, they had accepted that, hey, this is how things are going to be. You know, this, this is the way it is. I'm, I'm just going to be living in this mountain, um, not able to live uh, in my home. Yeah. Uh, I, I can only imagine how that felt. Let's jump to verse 11. You know, and dare say that the, the odds of it were pretty stacked against these guys as well. In verse 11, Judges 6, he says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the uh, Abezerite, when his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. Now, right off that, we see the parallels between this and even what uh, Abram said in the back, right? God comes to Abram and says, hey, I'm your shield, your mighty warrior. And Abram's like, uh, Abram's right off the bat comes up with something that, that's on his heart. Here we see what was on Gideon's heart. He says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And I'll say that, how many of us have heard this in the world, right? Yep. If God really exists, why are all these things happening? Why is my life like this? And Sally, maybe that's been us at times. Man, is God really with me? Why is, this, why is this situation the way it is in my life? If God is really with us, 
why is all this happening? I've heard of all the uh, friends of mine and these great things happening to them. Why isn't it happening to us? That was his, um, Gideon's heart. Um, there he, Gideon was thinking about, uh, about the odds, right? It's in verse 14, says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel, Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And it's the funny thing is, like, you know, oftentimes we are the answer to our problem, right? Like, you know, uh, a lot of times we want something, you know, miraculous to happen. God's like, hey, no, no, you're the answer to, to your problem. Uh, let's jump to Judges chapter 7. Come on, bro. Come on, David. Judges 7. In verse 15. So Gideon goes. He says, Gideon arrived just as... Oh, sorry, 15. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, actually, sorry. Yes, <laughs> Judges 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said, he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came uh, tumbling into the midnight camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent fell over, turn, uh, that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites' camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpet, trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow me. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who dare, uh, who are with me, blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, and then at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had cha changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches and their left hands and holding their right hands, the trumpets uh, that they were to blow. Then shouted a sword from the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they, uh, as they fled. And here's the thing, man. Like, we see this, this tale of victory. Uh, when God is a part of the equation, guys, like, we, that's, we have victory. Yeah. When, when we bring God into the equation, we have victory. Those odds uh, go from insurmountable to insignificant. Um, the odds don't matter when God is in the equation. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, you know, another instance, when I, when I think of, of beating the odds, I, I think of just simply the, the fact that I'm here this morning. Um, you know, my, my father and my mother, they're, they're divorced. They got divorced when I was, when I was uh, young, very, very young. And for, for those that... Definitely not, not enough time to share this morning. But for those that know, when I was when I was young, when I was young, when I was born, basically when I was born, when I was five, uh, my mother and father uh, they were in a cult. Um, wait, not enough time to share about this, um, but it's a fascinating story. Um, because they, they separated, and because of the situation, the surrounding the, the cult that they're in, they, they had no possessions, and so I had to go live in a foster home. Um, while my, my father and mother, they're trying to figure out their, their <coughs> lives. Uh, and sadly, you know, sadly, like most, you know, uh, young people in America, I was sexually abused in this foster home. Mm. And I grew up, you know, just, you know, kind of trying to suppress, really suppress what had happened. 
And what helped me snap out of this uh, this life and just not want to talk about, not you know, you know, being ashamed of this is I read this stat, and uh, I love stats. And this stat said that you know survivors of sexual abuse uh, about fifty-five to sixty percent of them end up with a mental disability when they get older. Uh, and it's right around the time when they're mid twenties that they start develop like mental issues. And I saw, and I I became uh, bad at math. I love stats, but I'm bad at math. When uh, <laughs> 12, 12 years ago, I was twenty two. Twenty two. Um, and twenty. So when I read this stat, when I was when I was twenty two, it, it it struck fear in me. I was like, man, am I gonna develop these you know mental issues? And I I read more, and a lot of the reasons why is that. You know, you, you suppress those memories. You, you you suppress them down, and you don't deal with them, and they end up uh, manifesting themselves in, in mental issues. And uh, because of the grace of God and becoming a, a Christian, and when you become a Christian, everything is in light. You, you get to talk about things. Uh, there's no shame. You get to really share and, and, and cry out to God uh, about things that have happened to you. And because of that, I believe that true with all my heart, that saved me from really having mental challenges because. I looked at, you know, a lot of my family members that went through similar situations. Um, a lot of, a good amount of them, um, you know, one passed away from drug addiction. Uh, another had to be admitted to a, a mental asylum uh, a few times. Mm-hmm. It really made me grateful for God and his kingdom and to realize that, man, like God, is, God is all about being honest. When you, when you bring God into the equation... Those odds don't matter. I could have been one of those stats, you know, uh, of people that, that suffer from those things. And obviously, you know, I don't even have time to get into the fact that, you know, being a black male, being, you know, parents that, that are separated, like the, the stats are, I'm, I'm surprised, not surprised, but, you know, if not for God, like I'd be, I should be in jail, right? Yeah. should be in jail. Who knows, I have 10, 15 kids, you know, out of wedlock, who knows? The, the stats show that my life should be vastly different than it is today. Uh, but God is all about being the odds. And, and the same thing here with Gideon. Gideon, he was very much, you know, resigned to the fact that this is how his life was going to be. And hiding in the threshing, uh, threshing wheat, hiding in the wine press, family in the hills, he, he accepted that. But God said, no, I'm all about changing the odds if you just believe in what I'm saying. How about you? Second, second challenge for you guys. That challenge, that uh, insurmountable uh, thing that you wrote in, wrote in the first one. I want to challenge you guys for at least every day this week to pray about that challenge. Amen. Every day, pray about God uh, filling you with faith and showing you that that it, what you feel is insurmountable is in fact insignificant. Seven days at least to pray about that, and I believe that we do. God will show you amazing things. And uh, let's bring it on home. Obviously, the, 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 the final uh, point is the person I want to share that beat the odds is, is, is Jesus himself. Um, the title of the, of the point is Worth the Risk. Um, let's go back to Romans, uh, but in chapter 5. In Romans 5. You know, another... <laughs> The book of Romans holds a special uh, place in my life. Uh, obviously, from my childhood, and, and that the cult they, they they believe that you know, you know, if you could memorize scripture, uh, you do well in school and everything. You know, which is not untrue. You, memorizing things helps uh, in school. But they had every member had to memorize the book of Romans, 
and uh, the King James, King James Version, uh, front to back. So when I was a child, I used to be able to recite the book of Romans front to back. I cannot no longer. But Romans holds a special place in my heart uh, because of that. In Romans 5, in verse 6, Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the, the, when I read this, I kind of chuckle to myself. There's obviously uh, when we're when when I was growing up, you know, they used to throw around, um, you know, your friends. You throw around like saying that, oh, I, you know, I die for, you know, die for your die for my family and things like that. And there's there's a uh, there's a there there's always those instances where that, that gets put to the test. And so when I was young, when I was younger, uh, in uh, funny, a lot of stuff happened in middle school. In middle school. <laughs> Uh, in middle school, there's uh, obviously we had a group of friends, and, and there there's a lot of things that, that we say. Oh, you know, we we we, uh, we like to bet each other that they wouldn't that someone wouldn't do something or, or, or this that and other. And I remember there's this uh, there's this uh, kid in seventh grade. There's this kid that wasn't a bully, but it was just a big kid. Obviously, you know, you have. Kids that are that look like they shouldn't be in middle school, but they are. Big <laughs> and, and this is this is big kid, and um, they. Uh, uh, I I wasn't a wasn't a Christian then. I <laughs> I bet my friend that he wouldn't go up to the person and, and slap him on the back of the head. And, and, <laughs> and so my friend he didn't want to get he he didn't want to get made fun of by us so. So, so bad when he walked up to the kid and, and slapped him in the back of the head. And I remember that the kid turns turns around. I never for, I never forget this. The kid turns around, picks the, picks my friend up by uh, by the um, by the collar. By the collar. <laughs> and um, we're outside. We pick picks him up, and he like there is. I wish I can illustrate this. There's a basketball court, but there's like a ledge. Yeah. Um, a little far, uh, farther from the basketball court that goes into the into the uh, field, and he picks the guy up and throws him off the, off the, off the edge. And um, and the the thing that made me so shameful shameful again, I feel bad to this day, is that he uh, my friend says, you know, he told me to do it or whatever, and the, the dude turns around and says, did you tell him to do that? And I was like, no. I sold my friend out. Sold my friend out. The odds weren't in his favor that morning. I, was like, I couldn't do it. Uh, but here, the Bible illustrates that it's only been like, there's a lot of things that we say, oh, we do for someone else, so that we do that. Oftentimes, like when it comes push comes to shove, like, we won't we won't do. Uh, but here he says Jesus, he died for us even though we were sinners. And he even goes to illustrate the point of like a lot of people say they die for you know for, for people uh, for good men, um, but we as sinners, Christ was willing 
to die for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that impacts me most about the scripture is that, man, like God looked at us and saw that we were worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. The, for Jesus, the odds were not in his favor. And the reason why I say this is that Jesus died for us even without the guarantee that we would love him back. Mm-hmm. Even without the guarantee that we would be followers of him, willing to, to do the same for him. Yeah. Um, the odds were not in his favor. Because let's keep it real. The odds of, the odds, uh, of someone uh, dying for Jesus you know, were slim. Right? We see that in the Bible. When Jesus gets, gets handed over, all of his friends deserve it. Yeah. But Jesus still died for us knowing that that, that was going to happen. Um, Jesus, we're worth the risk to God. We're worth the, the, the risk of uh, us falling short. Jesus looked at us and said, you know what, they're worth it. Like, you are worth it. I'm willing to die for you despite what you can say or do to me, right? Um, we're worth the risk. The challenge is that, you know, we don't think, we, we don't think we're worth it, right? God looks at us and says, hey, you are worth it, and we don't even view ourselves uh, uh, as, as valuable. Right? Yes, we can say, yeah, we fall short. I'm totally not worthy uh, of salvation. But there's a difference, I believe, in thinking that you're not worthy and, and thinking low of yourself. Um, we're, not, we're not called to view ourselves as, as insignificant to God. Because yeah. Jesus saw, saw us and says, you are worth it. We need to believe that we are worth it, too. Um, one of the, uh, the, the um, uh, I was reading this article the other day, and this is a, uh, for a separate study, because for me, I, I can struggle with being uh, being with acceptance, right? From things that happened when I was young to, you know, how abused. So I can struggle with feeling accepted, not only by God, but just by other people. And I and this article, the psychiatrist was talking about, you know, the, the overall theme that, that, that they see and people that they, they talk to for therapy is that a lot of people just don't view themselves as being worthy. Uh, to, uh, worthy of love. And this is separate from you know religion and God. Just worthy of love, just in general. And I was like, you know, have have we brought that into God's kingdom where we view ourselves as unworthy of God's love? That we're that we're not worth it. Um, and I was reading, I was like, wow, like I, I believe that plays a part into our faith when we believe that that we're not worthy for uh, for God's love. But here in the scripture says. It contradicts that. We are worthy. God died for us despite the fact that, that we're sinners. Like, we're worth it to Jesus. Right. We need to believe that we're, wor- uh, that we're worth it, that we're um, worthy of God's love. Um, the, the story of, of where, where I come in, and this, this story is just simply uh, this, uh, the journey uh, from, from being a child to now. Like, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of things that I had to uh, reconcile with from my past um, to now. Uh, I was able to have a great conversation with my father uh, a few years back about how I grew up, um, be able to heal a lot of those wounds, but I saw how that played a part into my relationship with God. Um, and the challenge for us this morning, guys, is to really reconcile our hearts, reconcile our hearts before God. This, uh, this uh, lesson is uh, tied into community because you know, when we take communion, it's a time of, of reconciliation so for us to really assess our hearts and assess where we're at and really recommit, uh, if necessary, our hearts towards God. Uh, there are things that we're bringing in this morning, you know, things that we're bringing in from the past, things that we're, that we're bringing in from this morning. But communion is a time when we get to reconcile uh, uh, all those things at the foot of the cross. Um, you are worth it. 
to God. Here in the scripture, uh, plainly points it out. Uh, and so as we take the bread and juice, juice guys, uh, really think uh, and uh, examine your heart, hearts this morning. And I know that there, the odds are, are, are stacked against us, you know, especially being here in Seattle. You know, on the church website, there's a stat of, of you, know, you know, Seattle, for those that don't know, as the, the most atheistic um, city per capita uh, in the United States. There's a lot of people that don't believe in God here. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, we see it every weekend. You know, there's a joke about, you know, people in the Seattle, that like when the weekend comes, you, you, you see everybody doing all kinds of things, right? There's a lot of things that people would rather be doing than worshiping God. Um, but the odds are against us. We're, we're called to evangelize Seattle. We're called to evangelize the world, spread uh, the message of Jesus. The odds are against us, guys. But what do we learn from the scriptures is that God is, God is all about being alive. He's all about being odds. The question for us is, will we have the faith and will we allow God to turn those insurmountable odds to insignificant? Um, so with that, guys, that's my lesson this morning. Um, thank you. Uh, let's pray for uh, the bread and the uh, juice.